This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a special guest with me today, John Mulligan, a.k.a. Johnny Utah. How are you doing today, John? Doing good, Mark. How are we doing? Pretty good, pretty good. And I've, and I've, before we even start background, anything like that, the number one question that I've got to ask you, why Johnny Utah? Yeah. So I get a lot of questions. People are like, wait a second, you grew up in Kentucky and you live in Iowa and your nickname's, you know, Johnny Utah. Like, do you just really like Utah as a state or, um, so what it, what it comes down to is I got the nickname, Probably, I guess it's going on about 10 years ago. Um, in my previous career, I was a police officer, a retired police officer, and I did narcotics. And within my narcotics capacity, I worked with um, DEA units and FBI units, you know, task force out of Cincinnati. So my old business partner, Todd Prignance, that I co-owned Wicked Tree Gear with, uh, we were hanging out one night and he just kind of snaps his fingers and he looks at me and he goes, dude, you're the real Johnny Utah and referencing the movie Point Break. Yep. And that was it. The nickname stuck and we just kind of laughed about it. Uh, we were actually, we were at ATA one year and we kind of laughed about it. Um, next day at the show in the wicked booth, keep people are coming by the booth and they're like, what's up, Johnny Utah. And I'm like, like, how did that happen overnight? So the so nickname quick. just kind of stuck from there on out. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So how many years were you a police officer? Uh, 16, just shy of 16 years. 16. And was yep. that, that was something obviously you had a passion for when you were at a, at a younger age. Did you always know that you wanted to be a police officer? No, not at all. Uh, my degree is in horticulture. So soils, trees, grass, uh, that's that's kind of what I thought I wanted to do. I, I even I owned a landscape company, or a rather large landscape company in northern Kentucky um, back in the day. And uh, one of my buddies, and he just had the best stories. You know, on the weekends, we'd be grilling out, and 
you know, hanging out and, uh, you know, talking shop. And, and uh, he says, dude, you always ask me about what I did. And I said, you just, it's cool stories. You know, you got, you got neat stories. And he's like, well, you don't ever talk about what you did. I'm like, ah, I planted 27 white pines. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the end, right? You know, and so it's just my stories weren't very good. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I had a 36 inch auger on a on a skid steer, and you know, he knocked it out and whatnot. So uh, he said, you know, you seem like you have an interest in law enforcement, and I, I said, well, isn't that kind of one of those legacy careers, right? Like, you know, your dad had to be a cop, or your uncle had to be a cop. Yeah. And uh, he's like, you know, yeah, there was a time that it was probably that was that was the case. But in reality, man, they're just looking for good, honest, athletic people um, to do the job. And, you know, as we see, the popularity of being being the police is not what it used to be. So um, I was like, screw it. And I remember I came home from work one day and I told my wife, I said, hey, I just applied to uh, to the police department. And she's like, wow, that's big news. And I said, yeah, you told me you had some big news, too. What's up? She's like, we're expecting kid number one. I'm like, OK, you know, you there win. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's kind of how it all started. And and the whole narcotics part was, you know, I mean, you know, you look at you look at a criminal's life and um, I, I saw what narcotics will do to communities and more importantly what it will do to families uh, on a microscopic level and um i felt that that's where you know sure you can catch somebody shoplifting you can catch somebody robbing a bank or something like that or an assault but if i can you know if i can go after the narcotic side of things and um i, I felt like that was where i would make a, a large impact and protect communities but like i said protect families so that was the direction that i went and and i loved it um i've always said that i don't have a marketing degree but everything i learned about marketing came from being undercover and identifying with people very quickly and identifying with the consumer and what the needs are of a consumer very quickly now in in the world that you and i operate in nowadays in media you know, we're promoting a product and we're identifying with our consumers that want to watch our content or, you know, the media that we're putting out. I was just trying to not get shot, you know. Um, So it's a little bit different circumstances, but still very much all the same. So how long were you undercover then? Uh, Several years. And even after I came out of the undercover unit and I went back onto the road, um, I was in a detached unit. Um, when I was doing the majority of the undercover stuff. But when I came back to the road, I still ran narcotics, um, you know, within the department, still did a lot of plainclothes stuff. So okay. the, for the most part, my entire, it was on and off my you know, entire career. Well, before we dig over to the hunting, I got to hear, because you have to have some interesting stories from that. Is there one or two <laughs> that you could share? Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's always, there's always a ton. Um, so, you know, when you get into law enforcement, a lot of people don't recognize how much paperwork there is involved in it. And, um, you know, you have to, you have to use all, all assets that you have, you know, at one, one case in particular, there was a target that I was, I was working and I had an informant, uh, that was making drug buys, you know, into this guy. And he was a rather large dealer, so we didn't just want to buy one time. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. what 
the prosecuting attorneys, they want to see multiple transactions. So it wasn't just like this person dealt drugs one time to get himself out of a pinch. If, if I can buy drugs from him four or five times in a month, then I can say this is what he does for a job. You know, he's a he's a drug dealer as a career. Gotcha. Um, that makes sense. So, yep. So we would a lot of times we'd make deals and let the money walk. Um, which is hard to do unless you're in a detached federally funded unit like that, where you have you know cash flow that you can let walk. But there was one case that I could not identify my target. And I remember the director saying, look, we're making drug deals on this guy and we don't know who we're buying from. We're just, we have a nickname. So uh, ended up did a, did a seizure um, search and seizure on phone records. And it's kind of like you're looking at the matrix and I finally start to develop a pattern that every day at 4 p.m., he called the same number. And, you know, you're looking at months and months yep. of phone calls. And a drug drug dealer makes way more phone calls than you and I do. And I guarantee you and I make a lot. So mm-hmm. um, I started to see this pattern in particular. And I ended up calling the number and it was a local Burger King. I thought, why is he calling Burger King four o'clock? And then it just all of a sudden a light bulb went off and I asked him, I said, when is shift change? And they said four o'clock. So that told me he was picking up somebody or waiting for somebody to get off work. We sent units over there to the Burger King at four o'clock and our guy pulled in the parking lot. We were able to stop him there, get him identified. And then we, you know, ended up getting him with a, you know, a little bit more uh, cash and product on him at the time. So kind of saved my tail, but you know, like I said, that's just one of those weird, weird things that, you know, you start pulling phone records. Um, and, and even though they're drug dealers, they still have normal lives. They still have, you know, the same patterns of their life every day. Yeah, because like for me, I like right or wrong. I always think back to movies and I'm like that story. I'm like, man, the dude got busted picking up somebody at BK because he went there every day. That's it. But yeah. but you're right. No. I mean, norm, normal lives like in the movies, they don't. It seem like they have normal lives. But yeah, I mean, he's going home or doing whatever. I mean, that's just that's great police work being able to identify that and track them down like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my largest drug bust that I ever made in my career, um, I stopped the guy for speeding, and he had over 312 pounds in the car with him. Oh wow! So just, you know, had he been. Had he been doing three miles an hour slower, he would have never even gotten pulled over. Oh, man. Was it one that you could yep. see right off the bat, or what was it that, that raised the red flag? Um, so when I walked up to the car, the first thing that I noticed is that the spare tire was in the front passenger seat uh, floorboard. Mm-hmm. I thought, mm-hmm. it's odd. It's normally not where yeah. the spare donut goes. Um, you know, and I asked him about, you know, why. And... Um, you know, what I like to do a lot of times in those roadside interviews or even knock and talk interviews or anytime I'm interviewing a criminal, um, I don't have a polygraph, you know, machine hooked up, but I can basically do my own if you know what you're mm-hmm. looking for. And, you know, you ask a question that you already know the answer to. You ask another question that you already know the answer to and questions that there's no reason for them to lie. These are non-incriminating questions. And you determine the baseline from body language and their response. And then you throw off an oddball interrogation question, um, you know, and then judge the reaction there. So, you know, asked him his name, um, asked him what was the, you know, what year was the car? Because I had one similar in college. 
and then ask him, why do you have, why is there, you know, why, why is the donut in the passenger seat? And the guy just literally fell apart and called for a dog. Dog came over, started biting on the back bumper and it was kind of all over with. And at the same time, my dispatch center was telling me to clear my radio to inform me that he had actually has a warrant for his arrest. He had just escaped from Leavenworth prison. Oh, wow. So things got hot real fast on I-75, you know. And that's just a typical day. That's just normal day. Yeah, I mean, and you know, when I look, even when I think back to like the patrol days, you know, police officers get a lot, uh, you know, get a bad rap um, for, it seems like, attitude. You know, mm-hmm. a cop was a jerk, you know. And the best way that I've come up with my analogy to explain this is, a zero is a total dick, right? And a 10 is a very happy person. So mm-hmm. what happens to a police officer on a daily basis if they're in a populated, dense city, uh, not, you know, small town policing, but if they're in a, if they're in an urban city with a lot of people, you know, like I might have a day where first call right out of the gates, a bank robbery at opening and you catch the guy. Well, I'm a 10. I'm happy. The very next call 30 minutes later is maybe a small child drowns in a tub at home. And now I'm a zero. Mm -hmm. And then the next call is a foot chase, uh, a purse grab. And and foot chases are always awesome. Vehicle chases are always awesome. So you're back up to a 10. And then the next one is a check of welfare. Somebody's 95 years old and they passed away in their home. You're back to a zero. So you see what I'm, you know, you see what I'm getting. Yeah. You just this roller coaster of emotions. Now we haven't even hit our lunch break yet, and then it's time for me to come home and hang out with my kids, and I got to be dead. So yeah. what happens a lot of times is cops will find a safe place around a three, and for most people, a three is borderline jerk. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, yep. Not a lot of emotion. So that's the safe place. You find a three, three and a half, and you just stay there your whole life. You don't get excited. You don't get sad. And to the general public, you kind of come across as a jerk. But in reality, that's just the body's defenses of a way of just trying to keep it together and not lose your shit, you know? And so I think a lot of times, you know, of course, I'm biased to the career and very quick to defend, you know, law enforcement. And there are some bad ones Mm. with every career. There's good ones, there's bad ones. But for the, for the, by and large, for the 99% of police officers that get accused of being a jerk, it's not that they're being a jerk. That's their own mental security. Hey everyone, just wanted to drop in and remind you of some important tag deadlines we have coming up. The state of New Mexico has their all species on March 22nd, and Wyoming has their bison on March 31st. Make sure to give the team at WTA call and get applied. I mean, I could never, I could never imagine doing it myself um, just because of that. Right. Like I, I work almost all day and then I, then I coach a lot for my daughter's teams. And I think just like every human, sure. you can't, it's tough to shut it off at home. Right. Like I own my own businesses. That's I'm an entrepreneur. I, I go into it. I don't stop at five o'clock. Right. I go, no. I go. And then, you know, what? I may go coach for three hours. Like last night I coached, I got home at 10 o'clock. I worked on my computer for an hour and a half. Then I went to sleep, right? Like you never turn it off. Now being a cop, like I can't even imagine that like a bad day of, of just two of the things you mentioned right there. And then saying five o'clock, I've got to go and grab my son or or bring him to practice or bring my daughter to practice and, and go about normal. Like, 
for me, yeah, okay, I got to think about something at work I've got to do, right? So that can stay on the back of the brain, but it's not that much, like in the grand scheme of life, it's not that much pressure compared to what a cop yeah. just saw or what he knows he has to do the next day. Yeah, and that's what I've always, t- you know, been trying to explain to people. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur myself and, you know, started my first business when I was seven years old. And, and people that have that mindset, like you said, we don't turn it off. We turn it off when the, when the work is done, not when the day is yep. done. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you go about your day like that every single day. And, and, you know, how many, how many dead bodies does the average person see in a lifetime? Um, because in 16 years, I saw hundreds, hundreds, yeah. you know, um, and, and from I'm, every and variation. Not just passing away in their sleep or anything, or a heart attack or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, on dozens of occasions, I was there for, uh, I was there for the before and after. You know, mm-hmm. I got to watch the um, living, not living, you know, with my own eyes sometimes in a single breath. So that it, that's not normal, um, you know, and you got to find special ways to compartmentalize that kind of stuff. And, and ironically, that's what drew me to bow hunting in the first place is um, I needed something that I could go do by myself that involved me being in the trees, in the woods um, to reconnect. And, and as cliche as it sounds, it was, you know, concrete is one world. That's what I associated the job with. And because I wasn't a DNR officer, uh, you know, game warden, uh, playfully, we would call, you know, we, I still today, I catch myself calling them possum cops. But, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have a job as Johnny Green Jeans. So for me, going into the woods was that was my disconnect. And uh, a buddy suggested that I do it, give it a shot. I didn't grow up doing it. In central Kentucky, when I was a kid, you know, I'm aging myself. I'm 44. We didn't even have white-tailed deer when I was a kid growing up in central Kentucky, we did in Northern Kentucky, Western Kentucky, you know, but mm-hmm. the center of the state was thoroughbred world. So um, it's amazing to see what the whitetails have done, you know, since I've moved away and, you know, now guys have 50s, 60s and 70s to chase, you know, every year, but we didn't even have them. And so it wasn't something that I grew up doing. I grew up fishing. And then as I got when I hit about 20, 21, uh, then I had a couple of buddies that did it in Northern Kentucky and they said, Hey, you know, you ought to get into this. And I remember going to the library and I checked out a book that was basically like white tails one you know what I mean? Uh, and yep, yep. it was, uh, how to be a whitetail hunter. And I checked out four or five different books, you know, on this, on the subject. And that's how I taught myself to hunt. Cause I didn't have anybody to show me how to do it. So for the first two or three years, it was just what I read or what I saw on a TV show. What I very quickly realized is the people on TV were killing bigger deer than I had ever seen in my life. Yep. Um, so that's, that's how I got it, how I got into it. And then very quickly I transitioned over to bow hunting and that to me, that gave me that tied in everything in my world that tied in my fitness world, uh, you know, being athletic and doing team mm-hmm. sports, that competitiveness, and, you know, and as we've all, as we all know, the, the phrasing to getting, you know, those deer to get in, you know, you got to get in closer. It's more of a chess match. And, 
and so many other tactics come into play with scent control and yep. and everything else. So um, that's that's what got me into bow hunting, and then I was hooked, just just hooked. And it basically fed the beast. It checked all the boxes that I needed for me as a hobby uh, and to challenge myself. In what what part of your policing career did you pick up bow hunting? Of the sixteen years, was it halfway through towards the end? When was it? Oh, uh, let's see. Let's see. I left in sixteen. It, so bow hunting did not come in until about two thousand seven. Okay. And right, rifle hunting started around two thousand two, two thousand one. So in the grand scheme of things, I've only been a licensed hunter for 21 22 years of my life Mm -hmm. and nobody else in your family at that time had ever hunted my dad had one day um one one day so he i had hunted several seasons and and i remember coming home to visit back in kentucky in 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 lexington kentucky because i was living in northern kentucky but I came home to visit one time and my dad said, what are you getting into? And I said, well, this weekend I'm going to try to go hunt a little bit. And I said, you know, have you ever hunted before dad? I mean, I know you like to fish and you know, we fished a lot as a kid. And, mm-hmm. and he said, I did it one time. So I had some buddies that <laughs> they conned me into it. And he's, he, he has this very elaborate story of, I went to Walmart and I bought a <laughs> rifle and I bought camo and I bought boots and I bought a flashlight and, you know, I bought all the gear, got a scope, sighted in my rifle and it, it was it was the day they all wanted to go and they wiped you know they they hiked me in they put me up in a tree stand and it rained all day and he goes you know that kind of rain that it's not quite snow but it's not rain it's just that slushy sleety oh, yeah. nastiness and i said oh yeah yeah and he said and it did it all day long and you know as i can imagine with the advancements in textiles and stuff like that he didn't have rain gear. He didn't no. have merino wool. He didn't have all the nice things that we have now. So basically, he tells this story about how he just completely froze his ass off all day. It was miserable. Never saw a deer, but was also too afraid to get out of the tree stand and walk back to the truck. Fear that one of his buddies, who I don't think he respected their hunting prowess very much, that they might mistake him for a deer and shoot him. So... He, he said, I just stayed in the tree. I stayed there all day and it got dark. And he goes, I unloaded the rifle and I chucked it at one of my buddies at the base of the tree. He said, I climbed down and uh, hiked back to the truck. I didn't talk to those guys for several weeks and I've never hunted since. So that he's like, it. I don't know. Yeah, he goes, that's it. That was it for me. And he goes, I don't know how you have the patience to do it. And that, that's the one difference between my father and I when he was still alive is he loved to be surrounded by people all the time. And whereas I've always been that type of person that I'm totally fine to be alone for weeks and weeks and weeks on end by myself. Yep. So, yeah, it just wasn't for him, you know. And since he hated it, he just assumed that I would always hate it. So he never uh-huh. Never took me hunting. Never taught me anything about hunting. Oh, it's amazing how everybody eventually gets in into the hobby. So, at what sure. at what point, like, did you know what you wanted to do when you were a police officer then, and, and eventually transition over into the outdoor industry, or how did that come about? Like, what 
what was, yes. what was your thoughts on being a police officer and then, man, I'd love to do this. Like, how did that all happen? You know, I was content in being a police officer. I, like I said, I owned my landscape company that I ran on the side. I had, you know, great foremans in place and great employees that could manage and run while I was, you know, while I was working. And uh, I was content with just doing the design and the sales side of things and keeping the books myself and all my days off, you know, I would go work with the crews, but, and I, and I liked having my hunting separate and I never mm -hmm. thought, you know, I wanted to make that a uh, profession. And um, I ended up having a back injury like most, uh, most people do, it seems like at some point in their lifetime. And, and I had a couple of months off work um, with a, with a bulging disc issue and some sciatic stuff that I was dealing with. So that was a, that was a pain, but, uh, one of my buddies, he was, he was a much more accomplished hunter than I was at the time. And, and he talked me into going to a trade show up in Ohio, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, that when field stream used to host that deer and Turkey expo okay. in Ohio. So he had talked me into going to that trade show one time. And I said, what, what, I don't even know what a trade show is for hunting. He's like, ah, oh, just a bunch of vendors will be there peddling their products. And it's just kind of cool. So I said, well, screw it. I'm off work right now. I'm not doing anything. And I went walking through the show and I meet this guy, uh, introduced himself to me by the name of Todd Prudence and said he was originally from Grand Haven and he had recently moved to Iowa. And he had a hunting show called White Knuckle Productions. Um, and I said, oh, yeah, I've seen your DVDs before. And the comment that I made to him is I said, you're that guy that passes 60 and 70 inch deer on the entire DVD. Like, you never shoot anything. I don't get it. And he's like, and his response was, I, I'm holding out for six, seven, eight-year-old deer. That's kind of my thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, okay, interesting. I don't know that I agree with that all the time but you know going several seasons in a row without shooting anything and that's where my mind was at that time in my career you know hunting wise and um so anyways he says hey i want to show you something so he reaches behind the counter and he pulls out this folding hand saw another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And he says, hey, this is this folding wood saw that I've been developing and gonna you know take it to market here and we've got some good traction going on and, and i immediately looked at it and from my background in horticulture i said that's probably the best landscape saw i've ever seen in my life mm -hmm. and it's a lot cheaper than the silky saws that i was buying for my crews already and they're losing them half the time you know they're losing yeah. 100 200 saws so i take a brochure I bought the newest DVD that he had just released and, and we started on our way back to Kentucky. And I sat in the car and just studied his brochure, studied the brochure. My wife, she knows how I am as far as entrepreneurship. And she's like, Oh boy, wheels are turning. And I said, I was like, this guy needs me. So I called Todd the very next day and I said, Hey, uh, I don't know if you remember me. And he's like, yeah, yeah. 
you were the tattooed guy with big biceps. He's like, I remember you at the show. And um, so we start talking and, and I said, I want to, I want to be your partner. I want to buy, I want to purchase part of Wicked Tree Deer. And he said, well, it's not for sale. I said, I, you know what? I don't, I don't fault you for that. I don't think I would want to give up any equity this early on in the company, but you're never going to reach what I think you want to reach potential without me. And he says, why is that? And I said, my degree is in horticulture. I know landscaping. I know trees. And I guarantee I cut more trees last month than you'll cut in an entire year hanging tree stands. The point I'm making, Todd, is they're shooting, you know, you're targeting whitetail hunters only. Mm-hmm. And you told me that's your only market. Well, quite simply, they're shooting whitetails in 39 to 40 states. And they're cutting trees in 400 countries. Yeah. So I said the bigger market is, you know, is, is going to be the Arbor Green space. And he ended the conversation very briefly uh, shortly after that. And the next day he called me and he said, you're right. I can't do it without you. And the negotiations started. It took way longer than it should have. But eventually, we, you know, we reached our agreement and, and I ended up purchasing, you know, part of the company. And we became 50-50 partners. And, and you know, the company exploded. You know, we went into Cabela's and Bass Pro. And, and then, of course, we also landed all of the major green space outlets, AM, Leonard and 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 all of the big box stores on on that side and you know we ran a company for several years until we ended up ultimately selling it to an equity group um in january of 16. that's well and that's and that's when like i said and, and that's kind of once we sold the company I didn't get to buy the yacht but yep. uh i didn't have to i didn't have to be a bullet sponge anymore either and in this transition of owning this company with Wick with Todd, I had also started hunting and filming my hunts for White Knuckle Productions, which is something I never thought I would ever get into or enjoy. Mm-hmm. Once we once we sold the business, that's when I retired from law enforcement. I sold my landscape company, and I made the decision, and I, I was going to make the leap, and I was going to move to Iowa. And I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do other than I had a contract to continue working for the equity group that we had just sold Wicked to. But I didn't have anything concretely figured out. I was still kind of winging it, right? Um, And then in 2019, I started my own hunting show and, um, you know, ultimately, you know, Todd, actually, he passed away in 19 as well, early 19. And, um, so it was everything was just it was the timing to do it um that's when i said okay i'm gonna make a career out of doing this out of you know photography and you know hosting a hunting show um like i said i had a lot of reservations because i didn't want to mix you know what is it like they say you don't want to mix business with pleasure and hunting i had so much enjoyment out of that i wanted to make sure that it never got tainted by making it a job because I never wanted to feel like it's work. Um, and it's been a struggle to do that, as you know, and, and as, mm-hmm. you know, others involved in our space, other colleagues, like that, that's the struggle that we all face all the time is keeping it fun without making it a job. There's shortcuts that you can take, but then it's a job. Yep. Uh, if you always do it exactly the way you want to, it might not grow the show the fastest, 
but at least you're being authentic and you're still getting to hunt the way you want to hunt. So the, what I did to combat that is I weighted a lot of my business on the photography side. And I kind of tell myself I'm a photographer that gets to host a hunting show. Yep. Um, and, and instead of having all my eggs in one basket, just based on the show. And it, you know, it works for me. Hey everybody, I'm a believer in using the best and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are. They're the best in the market. If you're looking for accuracy and dependability, make sure to go check them out. Get that gun of a lifetime coming your way at gunworks.com. If you guys are looking for the best seat covers on the market, you got to make sure to check out Rough Tough. I've had them in my truck now going on four years and they are bulletproof. Make sure to check them out, roughtough.com. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out our website, worldwidetrophyadventures.com. That's, uh, I've, had, I've had a lot of guests on the podcast and that's probably the, uh, the most honest, honest thing that's ever been said on here about being in the industry, right? Like everybody, yep. wants, to, everybody wants to be here. Like you see sure. it from the outside and you want to get here. But a lot of the people that do come into the space, all of a sudden, it's just like anything else in life, right? It becomes a job. And yep. all of a sudden, you, you had this, this passion of, like for, for a lot of people growing up and being able to do it at a younger age and then in your 20s and 30s and finally getting able to do it. Now, all of a sudden, it's I'm not going on a deer hunt. It's everything that that deer hunt entails, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's not that. And I hear, I hear a lot of people in the space because they struggle with it. Right. How do I, it became a job. I don't even like, I don't, I don't have the passion to go and, and do this as much as I once did. I'm, I'm more happy when it's over than, than before. You're always more excited when you're getting ready to go. Yep. Um, yep. And I think that balance of, of what you said about being true to yourself on the reason <laughs> why you're doing it. And you know what? The majority of the time, that's not going to get you the followers or whatever you're looking for the fastest, right? Like sure. You said it. it. It's not. But at the same time, if you're looking to do this for, for like, until you retire, you have to be yourself when you do it. Yeah. Right? Don't do things just for a social media explosion or something that will draw a bunch of eyeballs on a video. Because then all of a sudden, you're going to get stuck in this track of, man, you're going to have to repeat and, and keep doing that, right? Like, And plus that's not really the following you want to, you want to grow is doing something stupid like that. Like stay exactly. true to yourself. Yeah. Stay true to yourself on who you are just so you can go to sleep at night. And truly like I, I I'm fortunate just like you. I, I mean, I get to hump way more than, than the normal person. And I still love every minute of it. I love hopping on a plane. I love getting yeah. in the rental car. I love that first time you walk into a camp and you get to meet everybody. Yeah. I, yep. I love the days in the tent, like maybe not as much, at the time while it happens, like I don't like being rained in a tent, but as soon as it's over and being able to think back about that, <laughs> right, man, that, right. wasn't, that wasn't too bad. Like how many people truly get to, you know, just be locked in a tent in the middle of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. That's literally an hour bush plane ride from, from safety. And you get to do that multiple times, right? Like just so yeah. relaxed at the moment. Now don't, don't get me wrong at the moment. You're like, man, I'd really like it to stop raining. So I get out and continue this hunt. But <laughs> thinking back on it, like even, even crazy times like that, that are harsh at the moment, you look back and go, man, I was fortunate to be able to do that. Right? No, you're exactly spot on. And that's, 
you know, and I've had so many opportunities that have come from this. You know, I've got, I've had a chance to meet such awesome people. Um, I've gotten to see the coolest places in the world. Um, you know, growing up in, in central Kentucky, my dad was a successful business owner, owned a plumbing company. And, and, you know, truth be known, when I was a kid, that's just what everything was already mapped out. Mm-hmm. You know, I was probably going to have mm-hmm. a small farm, you know, in Kentucky. I was going to take over my dad's plumbing business. And that was the and, and really that was the easy path. But my dad was such a ball buster that I always felt like there was no way I was going to be able to hold a candle uh, or fill his shoes, you know. So I thought mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go carve my own path um, and do something that I want to do and something that I want to earn. And one of the things that he taught me as a kid was to kind of embrace the suck and enjoy the struggle. And that's something that still sticks with, sticks with me. I don't like when things go easy because I don't feel like I earned them. Mm-hmm. And damn, picking up a bow and traveling all over the world to hunt. Um that's that that's more than I probably bit off. You know, I bit off more than I can chew sometimes because it, yep. it's as tough as it gets, as you know. And but I, you know, I thought I was going to grow up in Kentucky and just kind of stay there. And, you know, once or twice a year, sure, I'd take the kids and wife to to Florida, Myrtle Beach or, you know, maybe even Bahamas or something. But now I get to go to Bahamas and Saskatchewan and Wyoming and Colorado and wake up and see sunsets and hunt and Mm-hmm. Um, it's nuts, you know, and then every year I get to do it all over again, uh, pick new yep. places. So it's, it's been super cool. And, and like you said, it takes so much work and, and you get married to the job and, 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 you know, and that's the rub of it all in the industry that we live in. You gotta be popular, you know, you gotta have your mm-hmm. likes and your follows and your engagement with your, with your audience and your peers because that keeps sponsors happy and you want to make sure that you're promoting the product and encouraging people to go give that product a chance, you know, to fill their needs for their hunting or adventuring. But, you know, like we said, you know, you want to be true to yourself and you want to do it your way. And, and if you start getting in that cycle of just chasing likes and follows and, you know, the next thing you know, you're doing dumb stuff. You're mm-hmm. maybe you're even burning down your truck. I mean, you're having exactly. to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And nobody wants to do that. You know, at least I don't. And I need to look at myself in the mirror and um, make sure that what I'm putting out there is truly just an extension of me. And like I said, I think that's why I've always kept some other businesses on the side and I've kept my photography. And and what I found out, Mark, is early on, I was always afraid that if you don't have a banger season, you're going to lose sponsors. Mm-hmm. And in 2021... I had the best season of my life, five whitetails and a moose. And I did it in 45 days and oh. I've never had a season like that. And that was awesome. You know, with an average whitetail of 163, um, I was, I was on cloud nine. Well, then this past year I shot a couple of mule deer and I went to South Africa and I shot a few animals. I stuck a, I stuck a really nice whitetail in Iowa that I didn't recover. Uh, a really nice whitetail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it would have been my biggest, biggest by far. And, you know, Lukoski and I looked at the video for 30 minutes and we determined that he's got to be dead. He's got to be dead. And we ultimately, we think we got one lung and he's either dead somewhere, but he, we know that he lived at least another week because we got another picture of him a week later. But so 
I was afraid this year. I'm like, oh man, I, compared to last season, I had a horrible season. Uh-huh. But marketing dollars through my sponsorships went up 30 or 40 percent this year. So that tells me that if you pick the right partners and they invest in you and what you're doing, the results always don't matter. And I think, you know, you see that you see that play out even in friendships and life. As long as you're a good person, you don't have to be rich or you don't have to be popular or you don't have to be an NBA star. If you're a good person, you're a good person and people want to work with you and associate with you. So that, you know, I went into this year and for listeners that maybe don't know or realize this, oftentimes every year or every couple of years around December is when we're renegotiating with the partnerships that we have for the following year or two or three years. Uh, that's typically when it happens. Most people you know, still run their taxes on that mm-hmm. kind of a fiscal year. But and like. I was, I was going into this year, Mark, freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God, I had a bad season. What if I, I can't afford to take a dip? You know, uh, I've got goals. I've got plans. Uh, but then, part, like I said, partnerships went up. And it was positive reinforcement that not taking those shortcuts and being authentic and still hunting the way you want to hunt and telling the story the way you want to tell the story it still actually reigns true. (laughs) It still has some validity and the hunting industry hasn't completely been sucked dry of all of the pureness of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm going into this year, uh, very optimistic and and very happy. It's, It's, and it's one of those things, right? Like as a, you have to match yourself with the right partners. That's right. That's very important. Not everybody that's in the outdoor industry can match with with any part any company that's there, right? Like it's taken me a long time to to get the ones that I have because I've passed on ones that like I, I tell Bruce from Leopold all the time, right? Like I passed on three optics companies because I was waiting for you guys to call. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I I wanted you guys so bad that I passed on three yeah. to for the call. And now Dude, that you called are yeah, they not you the call- best? No, oh, dude, they're Luke, awesome. Luke, oh, I, they, they are the absolute best. Like, not not just their products, but the people behind them, right? Like, yeah. that's a, that's, the, they have they have the story. I mean, they they have great products, right? Phenomenal. But the people yep. behind them are even more so to where you're like, listen, from my standpoint, now that you guys finally, finally trust me, right? Like, you gave me the call. You trust me. I'm not going to mess that up. I'm a hundred percent not going to mess that up. I'm going to continue yep. on my path because I don't want anything to happen to that. Right. Exactly. Above and beyond whatever you guys, whatever you guys want. And I know the, like just as well as you do the people that they have on their, on their team, right? Like they're selective. They only pick Very. certain people that they want to be there. And they don't really like say this play. They don't care what you did last year. Right. They're not picking you on the last 12 months. They're picking you on, on what you've done the last five years. Correct. what you've done in your career, how you've carried yourself through an up and down yep. because they're not yep. going to add somebody that's going to do something to tarnish their brand. Right there. Right. Cause every, every, every company that has somebody repping their brand, that person is an arm of their brand, right? If I, yep. if I associate my brand with that person, it means really I'm backing everything that that person does. Yep. And everything that they might potentially do next. Yep. Yep. And that's why some of the people, like you mentioned, burning a truck down, right? Like, yep. let's be honest, they, 
they don't have any they don't have any partners that they work with, right? Because there are no partners that look at them and go, "Yeah, I'm a this is I'm a lock in right here. This is this is I'm gonna get my brand right behind this. This is yeah. this is what I want to do, right? They can spend whatever story they want, but nobody's gonna go, "Yeah, I'm a I'm gonna hop on that train. That's the one I want." Yeah. Just because they get a ton of a ton of follows and a ton of likes and stuff like that. You look at what they do and you're like, "I can't associate my brand with that." No, no. I I mean I would almost at this point think that the the largest. Uh, the largest driving force of that has got to be probably, um, you know, real reels money, you know, yep. mm-hmm. money yeah, from content, right. money from views, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram is probably the largest, you know, deal in place publicly. Yep. yep. Public, you know, um, yep. but, and, you know, and speaking of the right brands, you know, one of the one of the first uh, one of the first things that I was able to pick up on was uh, Sitka. When Sitka first came out with the EV2 pattern, you know, I was one of the initial ambassadors uh, with Sitka. There was like mm-hmm. twenty five of us or something like that, and, um, and and you know, and in full disclosure, I fished off of Sitka's pier for several years. That was perfect timing. And I definitely took advantage of that. Sitka was the hot new brand, you know, 2015, 16, 17, like nobody's stock in the hunting industry was rising like Sitka's was at that time. And here I was this ambassador, relatively unknown guy. I was the guy behind the scenes. Todd was more of the face of Wicked and I was okay with that. That was, you know, it was his, his baby anyways. So, I did that for eight years and you know, you know, you, you see other brands, you can't be on top forever. And other brands started to chip away at that Kuyu and first light and stuff like that. And they started to gain a lot of traction and popularity and market share. Um, But then there was always the brand in the back of my mind. So funny story about Under Armour 10 years ago, I, the first major partnership that I tried to nail was Under Armour because of my fitness background and sports Mm -hmm. background and stuff like that. Plus they made a lot of early development stuff for law enforcement. You know, they had those sleeveless compression shirts that I would wear underneath my kit or my bulletproof vest. And um, so anyways, I had approached Under Armour about trying to get a deal with those guys through for hunting and through their camo line. And I met with a guy by the name of Kobe Fuchs. Kobe oh, yeah. is Kip, Kip's brother, you know, Kip being mm-hmm. one of the founders of Under Armour. And Kobe was in charge of marketing. And so I sat down with Kobe at ATA 2013. And I didn't even know who I was meeting with other than they just said the dude with the big beard. And um, <laughs> so I sit down with Kobe. He doesn't know me from Adam. And he looks at my portfolio and he pulls up Facebook and whatnot. And he's like, dude, I, I like your stuff, but it's just not good enough. And I'm like, what? He said, no, it's just not good enough. He's like, it's not bad, It's, but I'm already paying for what the same thing you're doing. So there's, I'm not going to end a relationship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So your stuff's going to have to get better or it's going to have to get different. And I said, okay, this meeting is a failure unless you tell me what I need to work on, which I don't think he had ever been asked that question before. Yeah. So he sat down with me for another five minutes and kind of pointed out some things that I should be trying or things I should be doing. And I said, okay, very nice to meet you. Very much appreciate your time. Again, I wasn't from the hunting world. 
I was from law enforcement. I'm dealing with attorney general. I'm dealing with prosecuting attorney, Commonwealth attorney's office, judges, you know? So Mm -hmm. I handled it in a very diplomatic business way. And I think that that impressed Kobe. We became immediate friends. And throughout the 10 year process, we fished together. I use, uh, I use his rise fishing company rods that he co-owns with his partner, Steve. And Kobe's come out and hunted with me in Iowa. And then this past March, I ended up inking a deal to become an Under Armour athlete. And, you know, you look at the list right now and it's, it's myself and Lee and Tiffany and the Kiefer Mm -hmm. brothers. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I was one of 25 with Sitka and now I've become one of five, you know, with, with Under Armour. And, um, it's a brand that just fits because of the fitness and the fishing and the hunting and, and everything that I do in my life, that's very important to me. It just fits perfectly. And then of course I have to always remind Kobe. I'm like, remember 10 years ago when you told me my shit wasn't good enough, you know? Um, so that's always a running joke, which in about a week, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be fishing with Kobe trial fishing in Maryland. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be awesome. It's super cool. It's kind of, But, you know, a lot of that also comes back to just the way that this industry works. A lot of times things don't happen overnight. And it's one of those things that I'm always trying to teach my kids. You know, they think sometimes that they can really work hard at something for a day or two and they're going to get their goal. And I said, guys, you know, I worked on this for 10 years solid before I landed Under Armour. I felt that was the brand that was a calling to me. That was a brand I wanted to be with. And it took 10 years. I didn't give up. Uh, and I'm not going to give up. I, you know, I still have so many other goals, as I know you do as well. Yep. Yep. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. And that's how people become successful is they're not motivated. They're disciplined. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the key to it all. So through your whole – I know you're a huge workout guy. Yep. Did yep. that start before police being in the police officer field, or was that something in in that field? You're like, man, I gotta, I gotta obviously be able to run with all this stuff on, or was that something from an yeah. early age? No. So, I mean, I was always into sports, basketball, um, track, and cross country. Um, I was actually a, a very accomplished uh, half mile guy in high school. Had a couple of scholarship offers, and. Um, ultimately kind of fell out of love with running competitively like that every day. Um, so yes, I was always athletic, but I was always light in the ass, Mark. I graduated college at 120 pounds. And so when I got into police work, I was maybe up to a whopping 140. And I really turned to the gym ultimately, um, to perform the job better to Mm -hmm. not only save my ass but if i need to help somebody else you know another officer that was in need or you know i can't think of anything worse than me going to battle and being weaker than my opponent yeah uh that would be devastating to me no different than on a mountain if i you know how it is sometimes you're like we really need to make it to that next ridge in the Mm -hmm. next two minutes and if we do we might be within bow range but if we don't that muley or that elk or whatever is going to mm-hmm. be out of range and, and we're going to miss our opportunity. So a lot of that stuff kind of came hand in hand and, um, and it's an obsession. I mean, 
you and I are anomalies that we get to hunt probably 100 to 150 days a year. Yep. That doesn't happen normal. That puts us in the 0.001% of hunters. Yep. Um, but I work out 365 days a year. So which okay. one's more important to me? I don't know. Uh, but they go hand in hand and they always will. You know, I always say I'll be clanking around dumbbells and barbells until the day I die. Um, I don't know that I'll always get to hunt the same way that I do now, but I'm 80, you know what I mean? So, yep. um, it, you know, it's, maybe it's a little bit of that fountain of youth, but I just love it. And the biggest thing I tell you, Mark, about weightlifting and training for me is you and I go on a hunt. We know what the weather should be, but the weather may change. It might rain that day. It might be hotter than we expect, and we're not going to see a lot of daylight movement. But when I go into a gym, I know that a 45-pound plate weighs 45 pounds. Yep. And life's not fair in business, in marriage, and relationships, and friendships, and hunting. There's always going to be changes that you have to adapt to. So the gym, for me, also provides that balance, that I need one thing in my life that's not going to change. And the one thing that I know is, like I said, a plate's going to weigh 45. If the dumbbell says it's 20, it's 20. Yeah. Uh, I know that a bar weighs 45 pounds. That's that constant in my life. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's my checks and balances. That's kind of what keeps, uh, keeps my clock, you know, chiming at 12, you know, every day. Yep. Well, it's something I, I, I do the same thing. I, I work out minimum six days a week, seven, if I'm not, not too sore. Um, it's something about mental clarity too. Like the, the hour to hour and a half that I work out every day, I have more ideas, visions, whatever they are about business or what I'm operating in during that 90 minutes than I do yep. any other time. Right. Like every yeah. your body's fully engaged, fully rolling. That that includes the mind and everything. Like just I'll I always have something. I'm jotting down notes on my board in there. Just as I'm working out, I'll run by and do that. And that's like the big picture list for me. It's not it's not the small stuff that you sit down at the computer and you do. That's the big picture of, okay, I'm past what this is the goal for the next six months, right? I'm past that in my vision. Now I'm looking at 18 months, three years down yeah. the road. This is this is what we got to do. And then I backtrack. Most of my great ideas are. are things that I've been successful on have come in the gym while I'm working out. A hundred percent. I don't know what it is. It's the mind clarity. You're pushing your body. Everything's, everything's just more clear for me when I'm doing that. And I, I love it. Like it's an addiction, right? Like there are a lot of things in life people are addicted to. I'm addicted to working out. I'm addicted to hunting. Yep. Like I think there are a lot worse things to be addicted to than those two things. I, you know, I told my wife, we actually met in a gym and, um, you know, I always tease my kids and I say, you got two options, meet your, meet your spouse uh, in church or meet her at the gym. Um, mm -hmm. Because she's got faith in something, you know, and she's got patience for something and she's dedicated to something. And um, so we, we met in a, in a gym and, you know, I remember when we, <laughs> we very, very early started dating, she was like, God, you know, you spent three hours at the gym tonight. And, you know, you're, you're 20 minutes late to dinner or whatever. And I said, here's a promise that I want to make you right now. We've been married 22 years. Um, and I said, I'm, I'm a selfish person. Work, unfortunately for me, work comes first. And it always will. Um, you know, work and family. But uh, play is always back burner. 
Um, but I said, you might catch me in the gym and I might waste some time there. And that's something I'm going to do, but you'll never call my phone and catch me laid up at a bar at a strip club or a yep. casino or, you know what I mean? I was yep. like, those are yep. places that I'm never going to be wasting my time at. And, um, you know, and both of us are still very active today. She's, she's, uh, you know, she works out every day, hot yoga every day. And, mm-hmm. um, so we're both very passionate about it. And it's awesome that that's how we met. And we're both very much still into it today, probably more so than even we were then at the time. Yeah. I mean, that's my wife and I are the same way. I, like it's just a healthy relationship, right? Not just, mm-hmm. not just the pun of actually working out healthy, but it's a, it's a healthy relationship. You know how much easier it is to eat healthy when both participants oh. in the house are eating healthy. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's almost, it's almost, it's borderline impossible if both aren't on the same page. Yep. Right? If yep. You're, it, it, all of a sudden, I mean, one's cooking dinner and it's, it's not right. And then you're like, well, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm stuck. I'm going to, I'm going to eat that, I guess. Right. She, she gives me a hard time because she researches ways to prepare really awesome food. Um, and she's a big wild game eater too. But she she finds the most amazing ways to make great food. And she's more of a balanced eater. And that's what her body type and genetics likes. I'm a little more hardcore that, uh, you know, venison, chicken, and rice, and spinach. Yep. And that's about 90% of my intake every single day. I eat the uh-huh. same thing over and over again. The only derivative is my egg whites and some oatmeal. Um, but I'm a really boring eater. But to me, mm-hmm. I'm not eating for the taste. Yep. You know, I'm eating for the for the nutrition and for the training. You know what I mean? And yep. so it's that's the only difference. But, you know, we don't have the donuts and we don't have the sodas and, you know, we don't have all of those other kind of vices. And, and man, that helps out so, so much. Yep. Yep. Nothing to grab on the countertop. No. No, that's the worst. I told, uh, speaking of countertops, I told my wife one time that if I was ever a furniture designer, every piece of furniture would be shaped in the triangle. So nothing could ever be sitting on a flat surface and clutter up. Exactly. So before we go, I got to hear what, so you traveled all over. What are some of your, your top hunting memories? Um, most recently South Africa and um, I, I had never done it before, but I love going to cool things. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I can only imagine, like, I've seen a lot of the animals that you've taken, and I'm not discrediting whitetails at all. Whitetails are still my number one, mm-hmm. but it's also the animal that I've taken the most as well. Um, I'm kind of getting to that point in my, I guess, career where... I seek the adventure more than just the animal, you know, mm-hmm. whereas before it was giant whitetail, giant whitetail, giant whitetail. Now it's where is there a cool hunt experience, unique opportunities? And I like extreme conditions. Um, so when I think of my most memorable hunts in the last several years, it, it would be the, the South Africa because it's South Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never been there. Um, Saskatchewan because it was negative thirty-seven. Oh, yeah, um, Monday. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, those are the things that I find myself 
thinking about more and more. And, you know, th like this year, upcoming hunts, uh, fingers crossed, I'm really hoping to draw this Arizona limited entry late season tag just because I know the terrain is gnarly. And some mm -hmm. of my buddies that are some of them, I mean, they're absolute beast, uh, you know, athletic guys. And they get done with that hunt and they're like, wow, like that kicked my ass, you know. Um, so I'm like, hell yeah, I want to go do that. And they're like, really? Like, that's what made you want to go do it? I'm like, yeah. Like, I want to push myself. Um, I don't, like I said, I think I said it earlier in the podcast. I don't like hunts that go easy. You know, the worst season I've ever had in my life, Mark, was a year that I tagged out the first sit in Kentucky in a one buck state. And that was before I hunted in other states and traveled. Um, but, you know, I shot a buck September 11th and that was it. Uh, I didn't it, get to, over. Yeah. My so, whole season was over. Um, I, I mean, I missed October. I missed November. I missed December. I missed early January. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I say that the worst season I ever had was that season. And the best season I've ever had was not the season that I shot the most animals. It was that I saw the most places. And I got yep. to go to the most places, um, you know, the same year that two years ago when I had my awesome, awesome season, um, I didn't even see an elk in Idaho, $1,200 tag, never even saw an elk in eight days, solo hunted, um, but had a blast, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the year before that was the year that I did my single season archery grand slam. And I did that in, in, in one month during COVID and, uh, same thing. Went to Idaho and had I got to come full draw on a on a 300 inch bull uh, in the Tex Creek unit and got winded. I, it was you know that the way the story goes for everybody. If, if he would have taken one more step, you know I had a shooting lane and he winded mm -hmm. me right before he took that last step. And um, so unsuccessful hunt, you know, in as far as punching a tag, but successful hunt. You know, I got to go to Idaho. I got to go see something, do something I've never done before. You know, and a lot of people don't know this. I've never even, I've never killed an elk before. Um, I've got the number five black bear of all time in Canada with a bow. I've got Boone and Crockett pronghorn and I've shot mule deer and I've got big white tails. And I've got 40, I'm up to 42 turkeys with a bow now. And I've never killed an elk. <laughs> so, That's the white, is that the white whale? Is that, it is. is that what it is? Yeah. That's the, that's the number one for me right now. That's my arch nemesis. Um, now, again, in full transparency, this is one of the things that you and I see a lot. And we battle a lot is I want to learn as much as I can about elk. And I've always said I went a couple of times by myself, mm -hmm. really had no idea what I was doing other than basic instinct type stuff kind of hunt them like pronghorn you know what i mean kind of hunt yep. them like whitetail yep. uh but they're a little bit different beasts all the same especially when it comes to calling like i'm yep. oblivious for all i know i was sending out you know uh cow sounds that were telling them to go away Distress danger culture. danger you know yeah yep. Yep. yeah yep. I, had, I had no idea so but i was giving it hell i was trying everything i could um so i said you know the next time i go elk hunting I'm going with somebody that I can genuinely learn from. And if that doesn't make me the, the coolest hunter on the mountain because I went solo style, that's me being transparent. 
I don't, I, I want to learn. I need to learn. So, yep. um, so like I said, I'm, I'm hoping to go hunt with my buddies, uh, at big Chino there in Arizona. I love those guys. And, uh, so we'll see, we'll see if I draw that tag. And then, uh, if that tag doesn't work out, there's a possibility of a landowner tag in New Mexico. It's a little spendy, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I might have a chance at that, but man, there's so much stuff out there. I mean, doll sheep, caribou, those are way up on the list as well. Um, you know, I don't know, man, there's, there's so much stuff to do, but yeah, that's, those are some of the hunts that I've got coming up or I'm already starting to plan for the very near future. Love to go to Alaska, you know, like I said, caribou, that stuff's awesome. And, um, you know, really want to push, push the limits and have, have good experiences. So what I'm, I'm guessing you've got some turkey hunts planned for the spring. Where are you, where are you going the spring? Yeah. So, you know, I also, I own a company called bourbon barrel calls. I make turkey calls, pot, you know, friction calls from reclaimed Kentucky bourbon barrel lids. And, um, had a, it's, it's been a fun business. Do a lot of corporate calls with loophole. Um, John Dudley, he, he bought 120 calls from me last year and, and we just, we do some, we get to do a lot of cool things with that company, a lot of branding opportunities, but yeah. So this year for turkeys, uh, looks like Texas, Kentucky, Iowa, uh, are the, are the, the guaranteed, the set ones. Um, and then as time permits, uh, I'm always open to maybe trying to, to get out there and chase some more. I like turkey hunting a lot. Unfortunately, Turkey hunts don't do that very. They don't do that good on episodes. No, nope. They're 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 different. They're different, yep. and it's it's kind of one of those things. Though, if you think about it, if you've watched watch TV, if you've seen one turkey come in with a red head, just just sprinting in, you've seen them all, right? Exactly. Like that's, that that's what I hear is okay. You went turkey hunting, you did it. We don't need to see it again, right? Like you, there's only yep. so many times you can see an eastern coming in. Now I know you did all- the Grand Slam. Have have you been able to do the World Slam yet? I have not. I have not. Okay. That's uh, that that's that's on the list as well. That's one of those things I'd like to get down to Mexico or um, is uh, or New New Mexico, you know, as well. So yep. there there is. Uh, I, I would like to extend that. You know, the in twenty twenty one, I almost did a back to back single season archery grand slam. If I would have done that, according to NWTF, I would have been the first person to ever do that. Um, wow. And it all came down to my Miriam in the Black Hills. I shot one on public forest service land. It limped over the line, I, and I, admittedly, oh. I shot it. I shot it thirty yards from the from the private property line. Um, it never was on private, but after I shot it, it limped over and died about 16 yards, according to my rangefinder, <laughs> inside uh, a private private property. So I went to the house, knocked on the door, and not to offend any, any listeners, but in the driveway there was diesel Volvos, and there was uh, varying political stickers all over the windshield that typically don't go hand in hand with hunting. Yep. And uh, I thought, oh boy, we're screwed here. And it turned out they were residents of California. They had purchased a vacation place in the Black Hills, and there was no way to get a hold of them. 
So, of course, my camera guy's like, well, screw this. I'll put on a ski mask and I'll just go get it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't cross property lines in South Dakota. And he's like, but that's the only bird you need to be the first person to ever do something in history. And I'm like, I, I acknowledge that. And all we can do is take pictures of it. But we can't go get it. And we tried we tried and we tried and we tried to locate the landowner in California, you know, even though they were probably going to tell us, no, we had to try and yep. we had to leave a dead bird in the backyard. And, um, we continued to hunt all the way till we ran out of time in South Dakota and never could find, uh, find another working Tom on, on public. So they were uh, a lot of, a lot of hand fed private land birds in the Hills nowadays. Yep. yep. So, uh, anyways, that was, we came close, uh, but didn't, couldn't, couldn't quite seal the deal, but you know, it's kind of what we talk about too. You know, your ethics are tested when no one's looking right. And, um, I could have went and retrieved that bird and no one would have ever known possibly. Um, but it wasn't worth my reputation or the risk, even though there was a huge award on the other side of that line, but it, it still, it wasn't worth it to me. It wasn't worth breaking a law or breaking a game law mm-hmm. to, uh, to do that. You know, I'm not, that's not how I'll ever chase success. And, um, you know, and like I said, in, in, in my tooting my own horn a little bit, yes, but I'm also trying to share with people too, that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And I don't have any regrets doing it the right way. No, no, that's a a very very true statement and one to live by yeah 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 but great great partnerships going into this year you know most recently the partnership with ready nutrients and um you know, really excited about that and you know great great phenomenal products and gotten to know donnie really well uh over the last several months so that's uh was the last last deal to get to get signed in and it kind of wrapped up everything for uh, for the season Oh, that's awesome. And Donnie's a heck of a dude working out at, yeah. I mean, at his age, he, I mean, he looks like he's 20 years old, right? He's in his 50s. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, just going. But that, that, like, I look at that, though, like, he did it, right? Like, he's in his 50s. He looks like that. I know. It can, yeah. it can be done. Like, I want to, I want to be that guy. I want to, yeah. I want to look great in my 50s and, and be active and be healthy and, and just live a great life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's, and, and you know, and I think that's the deal, right? I mean, it, it can be done. Um, anything you want to achieve tomorrow, the only way to achieve that is you have to start today. Mm-hmm. You'll never get to tomorrow if you start tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, it's never too late. So anything you want to do, you want to be a better bow hunter, um, uh, you know, a better, better fitness guy, a better husband, better father. You know, today today's a great day. Yep, today's the day to start. Yeah. Well, awesome. I'm hoping eventually we we cross paths in a camp somewhere and actually get to spend yeah. some time. Oh um, yeah, you know I'd love I think, that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, you've got some wild stuff, man. It's uh, it's cool to see, you know, with the trophy adventure stuff and and what opportunities that you know, that offers up to not just yourself, but I mean, to, to hunters, you know, all over the world. Um, and you know, when I first started hunting, that was the daunting challenge was how do I, how do I go to Alaska or how do I go to Colorado? Um, 
so creating some inroads for people and alleviating some of that stress on you yep. know, making these hunts affordable and planable and doable um, is, is huge. Well, you know, you know how it is. It's especially on online marketing, right? Like you can make yourself look however you are. I, if I want to, if I want to look this certain way, I, I can look that way. Right. So that's, I mean, that's unfortunately the way the world is. Um, same thing is true for tag draws in state. Same thing is true for which outfitters to go with, right? Like outfitters can make themselves look however they want to. Um, my team of guys just has that experience of working years and years with the outfitters to really help match where clients are looking to go, right? Like, and we and we deal all across the spectrum, right? Guys that 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 money isn't an issue to, you know what? my son is graduating from high school or graduating from college. And this is going to be the one, one elk hunt we get to do together. And these are, these are what we're looking for. Like we get to, we get to do all that stuff anywhere in between, right? Like we get to make dreams happen because that's what a lot of these are. Is there, they're one-time things for people and how do I best spend my money or my time and, and what would be great for this? And like, we get to help connect those dots. And that's where I tell everybody, I don't, I don't really have a bad day, right? Because I talk about hunting every day. So I can't have a bad day if, if really all I do is, is I'm talking about hunting because that's what, again, most people get want to do that, and I get to do it every day. And I get to talk about hunting literally 90% of the time, and an ironic thing, coaching girls basketball is what I talk about the other 10% of the time for anybody that really knows me. Yep. No. But, yeah, it's, no. it's clutch. And, you know, it, again – I'm, I'm at my mid forties and, um, I'm by no means a wealthy guy. Um, but I don't consider myself poor. So at the phase that I'm in, in my life, one of the more important things to me is time. And I don't want to waste my time. Um, you know, whenever I come back from a hunt that I might not have tagged something on the very first thing I think about is no, it's not, Oh man, the money I spent on that, or it's, it's going to be another year before I get to try again. Yep. <laughs> you know what another I mean? 12 months. 12 exactly. Months yep. And that, that's the worst. That's the worst because, uh, you know, a career in law enforcement, it very quickly got me over the fear of death. If you have a fear of death in that profession, you're not going to last very long. But the one thing that I can't get over is the fear of dying before I get to do everything I want to do in life. Mm -hmm. And that's that honestly is the biggest driving force that I have in my day to day life of everything that I do is that I just am truly having fun and I want to have as much fun as I possibly can. Oh, that's awesome. And it looks like you are. That's the thing. It looks like you are, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I truly am. It's it. It, it's not a it's not a facade. Uh, the best compliments I get is when people see me in real life, and they're like, "You're actually the exact same person in real life as you are on on an episode or on social media or whatever." Like, that's you. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. It's I don't I don't think I can I, don't, I know how to be anything other than what I am. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a joke. Um, well, that's the way it is. I've heard that. I've heard that a few times and I am, I'm open and honest. I'm like, listen, I've been handed scripts and things to say before. I am not an actor. I am the complete opposite of an actor. You can't, if you, you can ask the field producer guys that have been with me. If you tell me I got to do something a certain way, I struggle so bad. But if you just say, Hey, be yourself and go do this. 
I got no yep. problem with that, right? But as soon as, as soon as you tell me I got to start acting, that's when we have issues. Yep, yep, yeah. If uh, if there's B roll to be shot, and you know a videographer is like, "Damn, dude, you're like the one take wonder." Like, that's it. Like one take, and you're done every time. And I said, "Give me a script, and we'll be sitting here for the next two hours trying to get me yep. to speak twenty seconds of scripted content." You know? Yep, yep. So bad. So yep, bad. yep. Yeah, I've got buddies out in L.A. that are actors, and they're good at it. Um, I'm in Iowa, so there's the difference. <laughs> That's put perfectly. Yep. Well, thank you so much, John. Yes, sir. It was yeah, great. We're gonna, have, we're gonna have to do this again. Again, I'm, I'm honest. We got to find we got to find a camp somewhere that we can share together in the future. Thank you, everyone out there, for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.